Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now, what people perhaps had never seen before can be seen to know what's possible. But the brilliance of this inaugural class and its leaders is the ability to see what can be, unburdened by what has been, and then to make it real. The other thing, I, just you mentioned this, we should just be clear here, right? Like, age is the central narrative question here that this all revolves around in terms of its political repercussions, the way the news happened today, the questions being asked him multiple by multiple figures there. And in the end, what makes it such a useful political tool for people that want Donald Trump to be elected or want him not to be reelected is that the fact of his age is not something you can rebut. It can't be, you can't tack to, if someone says you're too far left, you can tack to the center. You, you, there's not, the man is 80 years old. He rides a bike. He, he, like, but he is the age he is. And, and so it's, it's, it's a very useful political attack for that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the hangover. I wanted you to hear those two clips. The first was Kamala Harris from this afternoon. If you can see it, you can imagine it. And if you can imagine it, it can maybe happen. Um, And that was just um, an analysis by the geniuses over on MSNBC last night trying to justify that, well, Joe Biden's really old, but there's nothing he can do about it. And uh, Rachel Maddow throws in, throws in, but he can ride a bike. And I I have to take you into the room here because I'm directly across. I'm I'm like three and a half feet away from Pete Callender. And he literally had his head in his hands with that explanation. You wouldn't even tolerate that from a caller. No. No, I'd hang up on them. That's awful. But he can ride a bike. Right. For the love of me. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you even say something that stupid in the presence of a microphone? You know? you got to treat every mic. You know this. You're of a course. pro. You treat every microphone like it's on. I, I treat it like it's sacred. Like it's on. Yes. And so if you say something really stupid, it's going to get caught and broadcast. Yes. She should treat every TV set that she's sitting on and hosting at the same way. Yes. That just if you're on the air, you should assume that people can see you. And you're, if you say something stupid, they're going to hear it. So we have the Rorschach test oh, okay. and now we have the bicycle test. Like that's can how they ride a bike. Can, can, can you ride a bike? Yeah. yeah. Well, OK. So for how long? Because we we all saw he could ride. He just couldn't get off. Right. Well, well, he did eventually get off <laughs> in a very quick with way. The, right. With the assist from the ground. Right. <laughs> well played. Yeah, yeah. Well played. He got an assist from the ground, and that's what got him off of the bike at that point. But uh, it wasn't that he couldn't ride the bike. It was the stopping mm-hmm. that was and taking his feet out of the pedal. And, and, and remember, at the time, we were told yes. that those things will trip up even the most experienced of bicyclists. That is true. Right. That's what we were that, told. That is true. I don't know if he's got the little, the, the, the special uh, the bicycling booties that you that you. Oh, he does. He has, the, he has the clacky shoes. That's why he fell. Right. He, his, his he couldn't get were, his feet. Couldn't get them out. Right. If he had had like the appropriate, age-appropriate shoes. He, Which he then started wearing. 
Yes. Right afterwards. Yeah, with the rub- so I made a prediction. Yes. Please, I need this. I'm and I, I, you know me, I don't really do predictions. Please, please do it. I said that within, and I first, okay, so I made a mistake earlier. I have to correct. I thought Joe Biden was in town, but it's Jill Biden. She's in town? Yeah. Right now? Yeah, well, she was like uh, like an hour or so ago. That must have been the, uh, that must they have shut been everything the, down. The, the roadway that I saw going the other way. I, yeah, I thought yeah. it was, in, there was a medic ambulance, and then there were like uh, th- uh, five, five, six blue lights right. going. Yeah, so they shut everything down so she can come talk to some. I think she's group. defecting to South Carolina. I, th- I just, because hmm. she was going south, and. He's going south, so I think maybe Boom. too soon. I see. What you, yeah. No, 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 not no. Actually, this is the exact right time to be talking about this stuff. Um, sorry, Doctor Jill. Doctor Jill. Biden. You call her Doctor Jill. That's a quote from the uh, documentary Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's right. Right. Um, some people have called him Doctor Love. That's right. Kiss. Different. Very, Completely very, different documentary. Would would he be more popular if he had like the Gene Simmons mask on his face? Like if he if he walked around with that? Like would he? Who Joe? Yeah. No. Okay. No, because it's the tongue. It's not the mask. Can I play something that's completely off topic? Absolutely. It's yeah. your show. No, I'm no, just no. here like I killing time. Like. I, I'm now. I'm going to play this, <laughs> and we're neither of us is going to react in any way, shape, or form. Okay. We we cannot react to this. You'll understand why. Not, wait, like spe- spoken or visual? 40. Uh, like, am I allowed to make facial expressions? This is from The View. Oh, I know what you're going to play. This is from yesterday. I think I know what you're going to play. Go ahead. You know, I was really reluctant. I don't know how you felt when you did it, Whoopi, but I was really reluctant to do it because... I just sensed that there could be something in my family history that would be um, disappointing. Um, Negative. Negative, yes. I thought I was going to have that kind of moment. And Skip had asked me to do it for a long time. And I finally decided to do it because I thought it'd be helpful for my children and my children's children to know what their real real history was, you know. But what I found out was that my mother's family, while... Um, they are Puerto Rican, they actually originate from Spain. And the reason that they moved to Puerto Rico is because the slave trade mm-hmm. had been sort of canceled in Spain and then Curacao, and then they moved all of their slaves to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And so the, biz- the family business, I have been told that they were printers and journalists, but they were in fact enslavers. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother... <laughs> so a hush fell over the audience. It was deeply disappointing. <laughs> Did you not know? You know did you know about? Did you know about? I saw, I, did, I saw the headline. I had not heard the audio clip. Um, but the audience reaction is the horrified. best. They're horrified. Right. Oh, they're like horrified. she did something. She like, did nothing. Right. She did nothing. Now I only bring this up because <laughs> I'm going to tie this all together from the beginning of the week to now. All right. Okay. This is a person who tried to destroy an honorable man in Tim Scott, t- calling him. Every name but a child of God. You're not black. You did. Well, do I remember correctly that Tim Scott had family members who would be described as enslaved people? Absolutely. Uh, part of his na- part of his uh, biography. I think it's the name of his book, isn't I, it? Or I, something? I feel like <laughs> she needs to apologize for having blown him up. And now, yeah, we know. Well, look, different. it's in her blood, oppressor. It's in her, literally well, in her DNA. So she, she she's the oppressor. Like she's well. she's trying to oppress Tim Scott, and so she probably I don't know something at a genetic 
white supremacy level Mm -hmm. probably saw him and like, oh, he's too close to success and being president. That's it. And so that's like, it's just a genetic thing. Because as I understand it, like, mm-hmm. that's how this stuff works. Mm-hmm. You're not an individual. That's right. Right. We are all it, like we are like the trauma and all that stuff. It's all baked into our DNA. Correct. No agency. Right. And so. But. Sonny Hostin. Sonny Hostin. Sonny Hostin. Yeah. Sonny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lawyer. A very, a very yeah, yeah. successful lawyer. A uh, uh, very well-paid uh, p- panelist. Uh-huh. Very re- well paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so Part of the patriarchy and, and white supremacy. Because I think the well, Spanish count well, as the as white supremacists. Europeans, no. But, see, but I, my, I like your original inclination, though, mm. which was she's not to blame. No, it's not her you, fault. You don't choose who you're born from. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, come on. But, well, I, I, yeah, but I, like I'm torn now yeah. because it almost seems like Got there's it. a different standard. Mm-hmm. Being applied in different circumstances. All right, final final clip of the day. <laughs> oh my goodness! Cut thirty six. Oh cut thirty six. Cut thirty six. Cut thirty six. This is because you can't go out the door without hearing this. Okay. I think uh, the values that we stand for, and just uh, you know, who we are as people. We uh, we love to uh, shine light on others, shine light around the people that that, that help and support us. We both have uh, just a love for life. Um, Travis Kelsey, why people love him and Taylor Swift. Oh, I think that's right. I mean, they they they're, they're they bright... shine light on other other people. They sure do. That's every time I think of Taylor Swift. That's what I think of. Shining light. Taylor shining light on other people. Swift. Perfect. That, that's what I always think. It's perfect. Right. And the same thing with Travis shining light on other people. Kelsey. Kelsey. And that's why I wasn't surprised when I saw that they had hooked up because they both have that two bright same... light. Two bright lights. Right. Two bright lights. Right. Like like headlights. They're like two. Not one headlight. High beams. Not, not one headlight. Not one headlight. You, you can drive that home, but no, the two headlights, high beams. That's like everybody's like, oh, I can't believe they're doing. I could because they're both shine light on other people. Match made in heaven. Circle of life. Exactly. We've covered it all. I appreciate this. Are you pulling for the uh, the the light shiners? No. You're pulling for the. Uh, I'm, I'm the 49ers? I'm being diverse. I'm supporting. I'm supporting the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh yeah, I could see that. I'm, they I'm, do need some help. I'm 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 a welcoming community. Right. Imagine the riots that they're going to have in San Francisco if they win. There's nobody left. No, there's all the people with the drugs and the pooping. My goodness. Why? That poop map is going to look amazing the day after. You can see it from space. (laughs) You can see it from space. They'll shine a light on it. Pete Callender, awesome to be with you, man. It's been too long. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Brett Witterbull. It is Friday. Our telephone number 704-570-1110. Assuming you watched the speech by the president last night that nobody knew was happening and that nobody knew what it was about, um, I'm assuming you probably watched the speech or you've seen the coverage in the aftermath. Yesterday was a very strange day. Uh, maybe one of the weirdest ones that, that, I, that I, I have ever seen. I mean, we watched a, an attempt to throw Donald Trump off the ballot in the Supreme Court, and then uh, which was failing, a- and then, and then what do you got? You got on the other side of the card, um, <laughs> the report that came out that was the breaking news that uh, uh, Joe Biden had taken documents from the from uh, from where he shouldn't have taken them. But when you look at Democrats, who are the most imp- important people in the political universe for Democrats? Who are the most important people? Well, it's not Dylan Mulvaney, not anymore. Alec Baldwin, no longer. 
or any of the moldy oldies like Streisand. It's not the squad or AOC. It's not big tech. It's not Brennan. It's not Rachel Maddow. I want you to go to a very specific place with me. Anybody remember Alexander Vindman? Colonel Alexander Vindman. You guys remember Cassidy, the princess of the White House of J6? Anybody remember the dossier, the fake P-tape, all that sort of stuff? You guys know where I'm going here, right? Right? You know where I'm going. It is the outlier. Some would say the unknown unknown, but I call it something else. I call it the most sacred thing that exists in Washington, D.C. The whistleblower. The whistleblower is the most sacred thing in Washington, D.C. It is the intersection of the body politic, if you're a liberal, the body politic, the news media, and big tech social justice services. In the demented, sorry, Democratic universe and their incestuous partners in the media, no one is more important than the whistleblower. Unless you see a Republican whistleblower. They're the worst. The IRS whistleblowers with Hunter Biden's receipts, the laptop, Bobolinsky, Devin Archer. Oh, they're bad. They are bad. But there is one exception. The exception is when facts match so perfectly that it cannot be refuted, that the whistleblower is so spot on, they can't be refuted. And that almost never happens, almost. Because there is that one thing that seals the deal. When a whistleblower is a deep state operative themselves... When the whistleblower comes in from the cold, when the whistleblower walks in like the third man, we have one. We have one. His name is Bobby Herr. Robert Herr, the special counsel for the investigation of the stolen documents by Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Now, he isn't a traditional whistleblower, but folks... He blew the whistle. He blew the whistle loud with the report that just came out. Now, he has been made to be the second coming of the devil. He has made to become somebody so disgusting, so awful, so so beyond any sort of beast of credibility because of what he wrote laying out. That the Just Us Department wouldn't be pressing charges against President Joe Biden for retaining the classified documents from his vice presidency. But the report has prompted some Democrats to criticize her for alleging the 81-year-old president has a significantly limited memory. And so now the attacks begin on Robert Hur. Hur's a Republican served as U.S. Attorney of Maryland from 2018 to 2021. After being appointed by former President Donald Trump's Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, he previously worked for two well-known conservative judges, including arch-conservative Supreme Court Justice William Rehnquist. This is a serious man. This is a serious man. 
Her left the U.S. attorney post way back in 2021 to become a partner at a D.C.-based law firm, a very well-known law firm, a very respected law firm. Gibson Dunn. He was there till last January when Attorney General Merrick Garland tapped him to oversee the department's probe into Biden's allegedly mishandling of classified documents. And Mr. Herr produced a report that is got a lot of people upset because of the notions of dementia, the notions of limited recall. But make no mistake, in the course of the next 10 to 15 minutes, I'm going to prove to you that he's a whistleblower. He's a whistleblower. He was told to write the report and get on down the road. But there's a funny thing that happened along the way. And I'm going to let you hear it from the airheads over at MSNBC and Morning Joe. They accidentally revealed what it is that they most fear. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Brett Witterbull Show. So, I am contending to you that the best defense for Robert Herr is to say he is a whistleblower. But what did he blow the whistle on? Joe Biden's diminished capacity. His diminished capacity. Now, Merrick Garland tapped him to oversee the department's probe into Biden's alleged mishandling of classified materials. Mr. Herr has a long and distinguished career as a prosecutor, Garland said when announcing Herr as his pick. I am confident that Mr. Herr will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner and in accordance with the highest traditions of the department. As Herr's investigation of Biden began, he vowed to carry it out with fair, impartial, and dispassionate judgment. While Herr ultimately cleared Biden of any wrongdoing, he knocked the president's mental acuity, a detail that some Democrats said was extraneous, strange, and unfair. Was that unfair? You guys have been watching him now for the last uh, uh, three years. Is, is Joe on the ball? How on the ball is Joe? Is Joe on the ball? Somebody tell me, is he, is he on the ball? Has he lost his fastball? What's happening? Have you seen him speak in public? Have you seen him remember speaking to people who were dead 30 years ago? So I want to show you how we know that Robert Herr is a whistleblower alerting everybody to the fact that Joe Biden was not going to be able to um, give an explanation for much of the material that he had. They couldn't bring charges. They had to write a report. They could not bring charges. So let's let's listen to this little vignette from NBC News over at MSNBC Morning Joe this morning. Listen to the spin on this, and please make sure your seatbelts are fastened because you may find yourself needing an air sickness bag. The conclusion, Robert Herr wrote in his report released yesterday, quote, our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. He goes on to write that the president's actions, quote, present serious risks to national security. But then later in the report, her 
conceded that the evidence, quote, does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The special counsel wrote that the president could also portray himself at trial as an elderly man with a poor memory who would be sympathetic to a jury. Hers description... A a neurologist and a lawyer. Let me just finish, but I agree. But but we kind of need to stop there. A neurologist... You're talking about her. Her, from Mm -hmm. Trump University. No. And... Uh, I mean, I'm so, I'm so, I just, I've got to stop right here. I know we want to go on and, and, and finish this report, but I've just got to start. Ken, uh, Ken Delanian, so bizarre. And there's so many people that immediately heard this, these random, random conclusions, irrelevant conclusions, uh, politically charged Trump-like, uh, uh, Trump-like uh, ramblings. Uh, who, first of all, wondered why in the world he would put that in a report, uh, his neurological assessment of Joe Biden, and secondly, why Merritt Garland would release uh, garbage like that in the Justice Department report. Can, can you give us any insight? Because it sure sounds like James Comey in 2016, who July couldn't indict Hillary Clinton legally, so he decided to hold a press conference and indict her politically. Uh, Joe, I understand where you're coming from Pause on this. that. I think Pause this for a quick second. Feel that way, but- this is Ken Delanian. Ken Delanian is every bit a partisan reporter as anybody else. In fact, let me just give you backstory on Ken Delanian before you hear this. He was instrumental in pushing the dossier theory when he was working at the Wall Street Journal. Okay, and so this guy was right there when that P tape stuff and the Russian collusion and all that was going on. He bailed on The Wall Street Journal and then went over to NBC News where he is their like intelligence correspondent. But in this case, he is forced to tell the truth about what happened here. This should be framed and used repeatedly for the next nine months go. Uh, Joe, I understand where you're coming from on that. I think a lot of people feel that way. But let me give you the explanation that I have heard from Justice Department officials and some insight into why that was in there, though it did, did seem gratuitous to a lot of people. If Rob Hur is saying, I have evidence that Joe Biden willfully retained classified information, then in fact, he didn't just find those documents in 2022, as we all thought. He actually found them in 2017, and he's recorded saying that to his ghostwriter. Uh, so why isn't he charging him? Well, he has to explain that. So the explanation is Joe Biden said he didn't remember. He was recorded saying, I found classified documents in my house in Virginia to the ghostwriter. He's recorded disclosing classified information to the ghostwriter, according to this report. But he says he forgot that. So Robert has to explain that, in fact, the, the larger context is here is that Mr. Biden has forgotten a lot of things. He forgot uh, the dates that he was vice president, according to this report. He forgot at one point during the interview when his son died. He forgot a key figure uh, in, in the Afghanistan debate that he cared a lot about which side of the debate he was on. And so Rob Herr felt like he had no choice, I'm told, but to lay out in detail the faults he found with Joe Biden's memory and explain how that would be perceived in front of a jury, because he's going to have to go up to Congress and justify to a bunch of angry Republicans why Donald Trump is being charged with retaining classified documents, but Joe Biden isn't. 
And so as a consequence of this, as a consequence of this, imagine you're Robert Hur. You go meet with Garland. You meet with the White House lawyers. You're going to write up the report. You've got to write a report because the Congress will kill him if, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't write a report and justify why he's not getting charged, as Ken Delanian said. Broken clock is right twice a day. But here's the thing. He was told. He was told not he was, listen to me, he was told not to deliver this thing on the basis of um, mental inacuity. There were, there were people who were saying, oh, don't, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. Well, he done said that. He wrote it. He submitted it. There were challenges coming back from the uh, uh, the, the, the attorneys for the president of the United States saying, yeah, we don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. We don't agree with that. You need to get rid of this. You need to get rid of those angles. It's in the report. It's in the report. In, in fact, if you look at the report and you listen to the progressives, I am Sam was just uh, on TV uh, talking about the, uh, the, the, the way this worked out on the first page. On the first page says he mishandled documents on the 215th page it says but they couldn't prosecute him my, my contention to you and and i'm telling you ladies and gentlemen I, i'm, I'm going to be right about this I, it may it's not going to happen this week but it is going to happen you're going to see him on hannity you're going to see him on newsman you're going to see him somewhere this guy robert her was telegraphing to the world Danger, red lights, red lights. Joe Biden, too dangerous to be behind the, the, the Oval Office. That's what he's doing. He's a whistleblower. He's a whistleblower. You have to understand that that's the capacity he is operating in. He is telling the world something very important that all of us already knew, but he's confirming it. I can't put him on trial because he doesn't even know what day it was that his son died. Now, if that's a lie, prosecute Robert Hur. But I'll bet you he's got notes, and I'll bet you he's got copies of notes, may even have some audio recordings. This guy is a whistleblower. And if I'm, if I'm the Republicans, because they're not going to prosecute him. He says he's not going to prosecute him. He's probably going to go back into private sector practice or whatever he's going to do. Jim Jordan or Mike Johnson should, on March the 7th, which is when the State of the Union address is going to be, should have him in the gallery for a job well done investigating and exonerating Joe Biden. Everybody will understand the subtext. 704-570-1110, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Oh, who's that up in the gallery? Oh, it's uh, it's Robert Hur. Yes, a, a great U.S. attorney who unfortunately was not allowed to do his job because the, the target of the investigation was far too frail. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Brett Witterbull Show. Let's go out and talk to Clark. Clark, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Hey, good to talk to you again, Brett. Thanks for calling. Um, did you watch the press, re- press, press, press briefing today? 
Yeah, uh, I, 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 I watched a, per, a portion of it and listened to most of it, yes. Yeah, I tell you, um, nothing's going to change. I mean, they're, they're doing everything that they've always done with Trump and everything else. Nothing's going to change. And, and the thing is, this will blow over. It'll blow over. Oh, I don't think it will. This, this will not blow over. This will. He's either going to die. That's the only way that he's going to get out of office. He's well, going to die. Uh, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why, okay? Um, first of all, this is a confirmation of what everybody has basically suspected. And now that that is in the ether, you can't get that back. That's why they're so angry. That's why that the president demanded to go on television last night with like 15 minutes, 30 minutes warning. And in fact, because I, I, I was watching when the alert came out that he was going on TV last night, um, everybody drew basically the same conclusion. The conclusion was, oh, my God, he's going to resign. This is really bad because of that report. He's going to resign. He's going to quit. He's going to get out. He's not going to do this. And nobody knew what was going on. And you could see how furious he was last night having to answer these questions. And so the sometimes a loss is a win. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. This is now in, in people's front of mind. And this is going to dog the administration until there's a resolution as to either he's reelected or he's not reelected. And one of the problems is this. You have different gradations of people in the country who have varying amounts of suspicion about their government. So you have people that believe everything the government says and you have people who do not believe anything the government says. The fact that this came out in a report that he was cognitively in decline, that he was unable to recall things, that he was unable to give good answers on certain things. That's in an official report. That's going to convince a lot of people that he's not the guy for the job. That what you should be concerned about, Clark, is looking at this and saying, okay, at what time, at what point does he depart? Because if he departed like next week, if he departed next week, uh, I think it'll be Kamala Harris. If it gets past the convention and then suddenly he falls apart, it's going to be somebody that's going to get inserted that has massive amounts of power. And I'm talking, you would be talking about a Gavin Newsom. You would be talking about a Hillary Rodham Clinton. You would be looking at potentially a Michelle Obama. And those are just the kinds of names I'm, I'm throwing out there. It would be those sorts of people that would be replacing him. But at this time period, they, they would they would they would easily just put Kamala Harris in and and, and put her uh, in isolation for about three months and figure that they could get her to uh, to deliver him across the finish line. So who's running the country? Seriously, who's who do you think is actually you, well, you see him in play? You, no, 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 no. You see him. You see you see who's running the country. It's Jill Biden for sure. It's uh, it's it's um, it's Tony Blinken. It's probably Ron Klain. It's probably Ron Klain. Who? Chuck Schumer. Uh, well, Chuck Schumer's he's he's busy in the Senate. The people that you would trust with this sort of power. There's this guy, Jeff Zients. He is a cipher. You never see him. And he's actually the chief of staff and you've never seen him. Um, uh, th- these are the people that are running it. You have to think of Joe Biden. And, and I don't mean this in a, in a disrespectful way because he is the president. You have to think of him as a living Woodrow Wilson 
Woodrow Wilson for the last four or five months of his um, of his life, he was basically laying in a in a bed in the in in the White House, and his wife was coordinating all the policy out of out of out of the White House. She was effectively the president. That's why you have a twenty fifth amendment now. And so um, this is a this is a committee that's that's running this place. It's a committee, and I bet you. Yeah. I bet you in uh, 30 days that nothing's going to change. Well, nothing's going to change, but the, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is people are still going to be paying attention to his cognitive issues, which is the problem. That's the problem. His policy's not the problem. I mean, his policy stinks. The border's open, all that sort of stuff. But that's not dogging him to a point where he has to panic. The cognitive thing is what's going to dog him. That's, that's what's going to dog him because people are going <clears> to— <throat> He, he now can't debate Donald Trump. He cannot debate Donald Trump. And he could have asserted two days ago, I'm not debating Donald Trump because he's an insurrectionist. Now, with this being out in the public, if he says he's an insurrectionist, everybody's going to say, no, he can't debate Trump because he can't debate Trump. That's what's going to happen. He had an opportunity to announce, to pre-announce, I'm not going to debate Trump. He's an insurrectionist, and I'm not going to do anything with that guy. Now... Now he almost has to get in the ring to prove that he's virile enough to be able to put the country on his shoulders again. I don't think he is. Well, I think that as far as you, you mentioned Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just naming big, big high-profile people. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Let's, just, let's just say it's Michelle Obama. I mean, does Trump win? Does Trump win with Newsom? Does I, Trump I, with, with I, I, I don't know. Because what will happen, what will happen is there will be a honeymoon for one of these people. The media will fall in love with them. They will make them the, the second coming of, of the Lord and, and, and push 1,000% to get them down the road. Because you have to remember, um, it's Joe Biden that's got the underwater approval numbers. It's Kamala Harris that's got the underwater approval numbers. Um, I believe that Trump could beat either Kamala Harris or or. Or Joe Biden, uh, I, I don't know what comes out of far left field if if he decided to bail out and walk on down the road. Here's the problem with him walking on down the road: his son is still in jeopardy uh, uh, with, with with the charges in California with tax evasion. That thing has to be disposed of so that Joe Biden can issue the pardons he needs to cover everybody's butt. He can't suddenly do that preemptively because there hasn't been a conviction in that regard. Right, I just. You know, I mean, it's obvious there's a there's two systems of government when it comes to you know charging and everything else. And yes, it's just I think every I think everybody that's you know on board with America that wants the best for America is just kind of rolling their eyes and going, you know, nothing's going to happen. Look, (laughs) basically, all you're talking about is there is a two tier system of justice. It's people with money and power and people without, and that's that's the that's the difference right there. Those people sitting in jail for J six, they have no money and no power. This president has a lot of money and a lot of power. But you know what? Well, Robert Hur uncovered it all. Great call, Clark. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. It is the Brett Woodable Show. Great to be here with you today and happy to welcome back to the program. Starting off strong this hour with uh, Hogan Gidley, Jay Hogan Gidley on Twitter. Hogan, it's good to have you back on the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate the time. Oh, yeah, and me, me as well. So let's uh, let's go in chronological order from yesterday. Your feelings on, on what we saw in that Supreme Court hearing uh, and what's the uh, what's the sense of things in, uh, in in Trump Nation right now? Well, look, I think Democrats think they won the day, as they always do, and a lot of the people on their side of the aisle parroted that sentiment in the mainstream media. But we actually took a look at what happened, watching even the liberal justices come out and seemingly be opposed to the arguments that the people representing Colorado were making in an effort to try and keep Trump off the ballot. Obviously, the president thought it went well as he did one of his patented easy slides and glides out to the front of Mar-a-Lago there to talk to the, to the press pool, seemed to be in good spirits, making jokes, but understanding the severity and seriousness of this case. Now, it's my hope that this is a nine to zero ruling because we don't want anyone out there in this country to get it twisted that somehow, some way, um, this is a five four split and that the liberals on the court think Donald Trump should be taken off the ballot. And I think it was Justice Sotomayor who made the point, um, uh, or maybe it was Elena Kagan actually who made the point you can't have one state picking a president. That's not the way it works. Right. So the, the indicators look good. But until the ruling actually comes down, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I'm praying for a victory, of course, but at the very least. But, but the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, would be a nine-to-nothing ruling. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, there, there were a number of really well-thought-out arguments that were coming back from those justices. Uh, my, my personal favorite was when you had uh, Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, uh, questioning the guy saying, so uh, when have you ever taken somebody off a ballot? And he's going, well, there was a congressman and there was this other guy and a state rep. And he's like, no, a president. When's the last time you took a president off the ballot? And, uh, you know, that's this is a special thing. I mean, as 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 the uh, Katanji Jackson pointed out, she said, look, um, they could have named a president. They never named a president. They got all these other offices. So, I mean, my gosh, we might have a 9-0 decision, which I think would be actually be a... I think it's good for the system overall, as you just said. Um, oh, no question. No oh, question. Your thoughts on, on Nevada last night, because he was busy yesterday. He's watching these, these, these proceedings. He's in Mar-a-Lago, and then he goes out to, to, to Nevada. Well, what's going on here? Look, um, <laughs> Donald Trump is, is, is running through... Um, uh, you know, these these primary challenges, these caucus challenges with ease right now. I mean, his opponent, Nikki Haley, obviously was my governor. I lived in South Carolina for a long time and and um, uh, know her, was executive director of the South Carolina Republican Party. And as many people out there uh, in the establishment wing, in the corporatist wing, the globalist wing saying we got to have Nikki Haley. I think that time in the Republican Party has, has, has met an end. I think it's in the past right now. And, and they can try and prop her up all they want and say, look how close she is, even though she really isn't. They can try and spin it that way. Sooner or later, you know, close only matters in hand grenades and horseshoes, as the saying goes. Right. And, and you're going to have to win a state. And I don't think she's going to win one. In fact, uh, she's, down, you know, she's down 30 points in her own home state of South Carolina, a state that she said that she had to win. And when you look at Donald Trump in New Hampshire, one of the most forceful things I've ever seen on the stage was when Donald Trump, the 91 New Hampshire, was standing up there with every single 
statewide elected official Mm -hmm. from the state of South Carolina, including Senator Tim Scott, who was appointed by Nikki. But they are supporting Donald Trump. It tells you all you need to know about the people in her home state and who they are supporting when they're actually rallying around the former president. Um, it, it is it is really a sight to see. And, of course, when Nikki goes on a ballot and and loses to uh, a candidate to be named later, right. basically, right. somebody else, that is, look, there's a difference between being embarrassed and humiliated. That's humiliating, okay? You were embarrassed in New Hampshire. You were humiliated in Nevada. And if you stay in the race, you're going to be humiliated again in your home state of South Carolina. A bad political move for her. Yep. Uh, indeed, she's going to have to make that calculus and figure out when it's time to, to get out. It, she, I don't think she's going to rack up any W's um, that I can see. Um, it goes from bad to worse at the White House. Your reaction to what you saw last night, uh, we, we saw a president very upset, giving a press conference, uh, really angry. And uh, he was angry for... I guess the cat getting out of the bag that he's got cognitive difficulties. What, what, what do we got here, uh, Hogan? Look, two problems with this. One was uh, a legal problem and one was political. He came out and lied about things he didn't do um, or did do. And that was extremely frustrating. And I thought to myself, you're coming out standing in front of this podium saying you didn't show classified information to somebody, but the report clearly said that you did. Okay. That's, that's one of the things um, that he lied about, of course. Um, but there were many others talking about how he did nothing wrong. Right. Of course, um, that wasn't really true uh, either, that everything was locked up tight as a drum. It wasn't. It was in boxes and places that were wide open, not to mention the fact his drug-addled son, who was trying to work with foreign entities, yep. had access to this information, too. So that was just a lie. Now, when he finished the press conference, in my mind, I thought, okay, he lied a bunch. We'll hit him for that. But, boy, that was forceful about his son. And, boy, he was forceful. He looked like he was with it. Mm-hmm. And he started walking off. And when he paused and started walking back to the podium, I verbally, audibly, outside, out loud, by myself at my apartment, said, oh, no, 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 no. Do not go back to the podium. Oh. And he went back to the podium. Then we got the political problem. Yep. It went from legal to political because he said things like hostage ceasefire. Mm-hmm. He also said the conduct and the response for Israel was over the top. Ooh. So it was a policy problem for him, too, which is also political. Then he made a point that he was working with al-Sisi, uh, <laughs> right, uh, the, the president of Mexico. And yeah. I thought, well, wait a minute. <laughs> He's from Egypt. So maybe that's why we have an open border. He's been dealing with Al-Sisi the whole time, not with Oberdor. Maybe that's it. That's a good right? one. Yep. It, it completely fell apart. And understand the, understand the box that the DOJ put him in. The DOJ said we're not going to put him up to trial because he's basically a doddering old fool. That's basically what they said. He, he, he has no mental capacity to stand trial. Mm-hmm. So if he comes out and says, I do have the mental capacity to, to stand trial, yep. then why aren't you facing trial? If he comes out and says, I don't have the mental capacity, mm-hmm. but I'm still your president, mm-hmm. you see how weird that is? It's very weird. They put him in such an odd place. And lastly, I'll just say, this is another deal where you're setting up a clear and immediate juxtaposition of someone having classified documents mm-hmm. who, by the way, the report said, willfully maintained them, yep. willfully retained them, which is against the law. Yep, He had them. He knew he had them. He showed them to others. He also blamed his staff. 
but he is not facing any criminal charges. While on the other side, Donald Trump, who was the president, who did have the authority to have these documents that Joe Biden didn't have, he is facing a trial because of it. The juxtaposition here is jarring for the American people, and I think they're really starting to wake up and go, "Uh uh-uh, this weaponization, this selective prosecution is a serious problem. Great, great, great stuff. Great stuff from Jay Hogan Gidley. Uh, Appreciate you being there today, uh, and I I look forward to catching up with you. It's no doubt going to be a very interesting uh, next few weeks, and I appreciate you spending time with us today, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You got it. A question for the class. Did you watch the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin? We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. I uh, I watched it. I thought it was uh, interesting in a lot of ways, and it's curious to me why it is that people are afraid to just hear from people. There's one particular clip that I am gonna play uh, in a little bit, and it is the question that Tucker Carlson asked Putin about Chuck Schumer threatening to send American troops. It did not go well for Chuck Schumer. Let's go talk to Jim. Jim, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Are you okay? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm okay. I just uh, am a little concerned about what's going on. I wasn't going to bother you today, but this meltdown that the president had was uh, very uh disheartening i um i just think uh that we shouldn't be too tough on him i think um that he has a uh, he he has a uh, some utility uh maybe the president of the united states isn't exactly the right fit for maybe state department or national security because if he uh, has the ability to be able to Talk to these world leaders that are uh, coming back to life and taking power in other no, countries. No, then, no. then it's probably you know he, he's the only guy that can do it, and um, we need to be cognizant of the fact that he's he's got the diplomatic skills to talk to to world leaders that have been reanimated. So maybe we should. Uh, reconsider just giving him another post somewhere else so that he can okay have so so i i I, I, I know where you're going with this i know where you're going with this and i i agree with you he i think there's a perfect job for him but it doesn't have to do with foreign relations okay the foreign relations have have really taken a toll on him he's had a lot of foreign relations with a lot of folks okay um and it's it's been a problem can I recommend a perfect job for him? And, and it's, it's a dignified job. It's, it's a job where he would actually be spending time with his peers. And I think he would be very effective at it. So let me, let me fly this by you, Jim. Okay? And it's this. Joe Biden welcomes you to the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland. Yes. He could talk to them. Oh, all. I see where you're going. And yeah. we can tell him he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Mr. President, we don't need you in D.C. anymore. We're sending you to the Hall of Presidents, the Hall of Fame. We'll give him one of those yellow jackets that they put on for the NFL. 
the 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 the, the century twenty one looking colors and and then the patch on the side says POTUS number forty is he forty six he's forty P forty six P forty six and he can be the greeter at the Hall of Presidents. Think all these people would be excited to see him. Uh, they would they 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 would queue up around the block. It might be a it might be a good opportunity for him, Jim. Like in the ninth configuration with Stacy Keach, where he thinks he's in command of the uh, the mental hospital for the GIs, right? I, but really, that's his therapy, is thinking he's the commander. No, not like that at all. That's not like that oh. at all, Jim. You could have gone. Tru- okay. You could have gone Truman Show. PJ, you could have gone Truman Show. Uh, no, no. That's an unauthorized killing of the show. No, that is a no. We're going to give him one more chance. Oh, he went rogue on you. No, hey, listen, listen. That's off the books. That's off the books. Listen, I I let him hold the football for a minute, and all of a sudden he just launched on, uh, on, on. Did you, uh, in all seriousness, did you watch? He didn't even wait for the whistle. <laughs> did you watch, did you see any of the, the Tucker Carlson conversation with Putin? No, I didn't see it. And you know what else I didn't see? What? They're all queued up. They had it on Newsmax of Trump giving his uh, uh, speech or talking about his win in Nevada. And I think what happened is they decided they were going to go on. He was going to say things. And they took him by the shoulder and said, just leave Joe out there. Just leave that whole thing out there. Don't say anything. I oh, think that's, that's possible. Uh, that's possible. Uh, yeah, as far as that goes. But, no, I totally... I looked everywhere for it too. It's on Twitter. It's on Twitter. Uh, it, it was Michael Carlson it, interview. It's on Twitter. It's on his. It's on his platform. You can find it. You can search it. Um, it one of the things that came up, and all, all the media here in the United States is just is butchering him for having a conversation with with Vladimir Putin. It's not like he liked Vladimir. Putin. He, he didn't praise him. He didn't say you're a genius. I don't love you. You know any of that sort of stuff. Um, in that conversation, there is a reference, a glancing reference to. The outlines of a peace deal. Um, Putin suggests that certain things could happen and there could be a peace deal. I, I mean, I, do I trust this guy? I don't trust this guy. Um, it, it was it was it, it's a very interesting conversation, though, that took place. Oh, heck, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to play a clip for you here. OK, this is an important uh, a bit. And I've got oh, I don't have enough time. Keep listening, Jim, because I'm going to be up against it for, for an update. But I am going to start playing some of the sound here, okay? And I want you to hear it. It's pretty interesting. Okay. All right, so keep listening, uh, and, and we'll, we'll do it. He, he, he weighed in on a number of different things. Number one, he weighed in on the Nord Stream. When the Nord Stream pipeline got bombed, he weighed in on that. He weighed in on um, how it is we should try to avoid World War III. He weighed in on that, and he weighed in on uh, Gerskovich. He is the Wall Street Journal reporter who's being held hostage by the Russians. Um, and, you know, the thing that's interesting is technically Tucker Carlson is still employed by Fox, even though he's not on television. I don't think he walked away from his contract, and they still have to pay him. That means that they are still colleagues of one way or another, Tucker Carlson and Evan Gerskovich. And Evan Gerskovich got kidnapped by the by the Soviets, and they've got him in a gulag and all this sort of stuff. And um, 
Tucker asked straight up to Putin, he's like, what are you going to do with Kraskovich? Like, you should let him go. And Putin, Putin is a stone cold killer. So don't don't mistake any of the stuff I'm saying about Putin for for being somebody who admires Putin. He's a stone cold killer, but he has to be the guy that you have to deal with if you're going to try to get peace in that region. Number one, you're going to have to deal with him if you're trying to get your hostages back. Number two. Um, And so as a consequence, nobody loves Putin. I don't love Putin. I'm not rooting for Putin. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. But it was an important interview in as much as you watched when Osama bin Laden has been interviewed, when Saddam Hussein has been interviewed. You know, you you need to know the way of your enemies. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Brett Witterville Show. Good to be with you. 704-570-1110. Everything is fair game from across the week, the month, what have you. If you want to raise an issue, you're totally welcome to do it. Scott McEwen joins us coming up in the next hours. Looking forward to that conversation. Scott McEwen, a lawyer who's got thoughts on a whole lot of different things, including but not limited to uh, the hearing yesterday at the Supreme Court. So late last night and then early today, I decided I wanted to watch the two-hour interview that Tucker Carlson did with Vladimir Putin. I was curious for a, a number of different reasons. Now, it is a little bit of a slog on the front end. The front end of this, uh, Vladimir Putin sets the conversation by saying, are we doing a television show or are we having a conversation, a serious conversation? Tucker Carlson says it's a serious conversation, and they proceed to have a conversation. But the first 30 minutes are Vladimir Putin explaining the entirety of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Empire, going all the way back to the year 980. And so there's a whole lot of lecturing going on. But once you get past that point, it's actually very interesting. But once you get past that point, they start getting into the more contemporary issues like why it is that Putin doesn't trust the United States, why it is that Putin feels like he's been sold out by American presidents. It's a lot of grievance that, that comes out from the uh, fr- from the Russian uh, uh, leader. But here's here's where I think things got kind of interesting. Um, this is going to be cut number 40. Tucker Carlson asks Putin about, well, something that Chuck Schumer said. Cut 42. One of uh, our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort or U.S. soldiers, citizens could wind up fighting there. How do you assess that? Well, if somebody has the desire to send regular troops, that would certainly bring humanity to the brink of very serious global conflict. This is obvious. 
Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than 33 trillion dollars. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia, make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end? He knows the Achilles heel for this country. The border, the debt, and he threatens, essentially he's threatening nuclear war. There's one point in the conversation that took took me by surprise where they're they're going back and forth on a couple of issues about the um about the the issues that have bothered Putin and bothered the Russians. And and one of the things that bothers the Russians is the meddling by the CIA. Well, that's obvious, right? In the same way that Americans didn't ever want to see the KGB Uh, get involved in in the United States, and no doubt they infiltrated many aspects of the United States. Uh, The education system early on, you had Soviet influence going on. You had illegals who were were Soviet spies that were technically called illegals by the Soviets and also uh, by American intelligence. Uh, They would be running all over the country. I mean, they, they did a really good job of spying on America because we're an open society. We're an open country. I mean, you can look up a name... I reference this name all the time, Harry Dexter White. Harry Dexter White was one of the most senior advisors to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he was an operational Soviet spy. He was sitting in the White House, and he was a Soviet spy. And he was at the place in San Francisco when the United Nations was born. And he was part of that process, and he was absolutely wired right back to the Soviets. At one point during the conversation, Vladimir Putin makes a reference to the CIA. And he looks at Tucker Carlson, and he points at Tucker Carlson, and he says, and the CIA did this and did that. And he looks at Tucker Carlson and says to Tucker Carlson, you once tried to join the CIA in the 1980s. Okay, where did he get that information? Tucker does not confirm it. He stares at him and Putin says effectively, we were almost both in the same business. That, I mean, you want to talk about it. It's not, that's not throwing shade on somebody. That's saying the girl's tied up in the Brooklyn basement. What are you going to say? So at any rate, this conversation goes back and forth. Now, you'll remember in the early part of the war with, between Ukraine or between Russia and Ukraine, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was destroyed. He asks Putin about the Nord Stream pipeline being destroyed. Cut number 
43. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have, do you have, <laughs> uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, <laughs> thank you, though. <laughs> you personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Did you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Who has capabilities. Final question. Tucker Carlson asks him about releasing Gerskovich from prison. The front end is a little chilling. The back end is not. Cut 44. One last question, and that's about someone who's very famous in the United States, probably not here. Evan Gershkovitz, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter. <sighs> We have done so many gestures of goodwill out of decency that I think we have run out of them. We have never seen anyone reciprocate to us in a similar manner. However, in theory, we can say that we do not rule out that we can do that. If our partners take reciprocal steps. I do not rule out that the person you refer to, Mr. Gershkovitz, may return to his motherland. By the end of the day, it does not make any sense to keep him in prison in Russia. We want the U.S. Special Services to think about how they can contribute to achieving the goals our Special Services are pursuing. We are ready to talk. Moreover, the talks are on their way. And there have been many successful examples of these talks crowned with success. Probably this is going to be crowned with success as well. But we have to come to an agreement. This guy's ice cold. He's an ice cold character. And remember what they were telling you about a year and a half ago. He was on the brink of death. He was dying. He was dying. This dude's not dying. That was that was a story. Wow. Is this TJ's playlist or is this Isaac's playlist? Is it my, or is it my playlist? Did to get some cake by the ocean? You know? 704-570-1110. I'm spinning jams right now because it's Friday. Friday at 451. Who's going to help me spin jams? Ed. Ed, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Um, I've been wondering for so to- uh, some time now why all of a sudden the United States is totally lawless where they, when they want to be when certain politicians want to do something including the President of the United States, as far as I know, letting in illegals is against the law, and nothing's done about it. No senators, no Congress, and maybe they're speaking up, but nothing's being done about it. 
And when people are arrested for committing crimes, right. uh, many of them are the, the judges dismissing them. Well, that, and, that's, that's, that's true. You, you, you are correct about everything you just said. Yeah, but what bothered me is uh, I was robbed at knife point oh. in front of five witnesses, and I, I, the guy was uh, he got in the car, I got the license number, yeah. and it was turned over, and they wouldn't bring the guy to trial because nobody would testify, but I would, but they didn't even ask me to. Wow. So now, uh, can I be killed? And well, I know I would hope thank not. God, yeah. I mean, well, thank God, South Carolina passed a law that you can carry a gun. Yeah. So if I carry a gun and someone's going to rob me and I shoot him, will I be tried for murder? Well, it, it depends, right? It depends. It's going to depend. It's the circumstances, <laughs> and, and you want to you want to make sure that you've got the right, you know, you've got the right uh, to do it and all that sort of stuff. I, look. There, we are living in a lawless society, and I, I appreciate the call. And I'm very sorry to hear that you got robbed, but I'm glad you you were not harmed. Um, there has been a tectonic shift in our country. I'm not going to say the culture, because criminality is anathema to culture. I don't think there's a criminal culture. I think criminals... They've they've been there since the dawn of time. Okay, Cain slew Abel uh, because he was jealous about the sacrifice that that he was offering to God. We understand that from from the beginning, there are people who decide to turn away from the light and decide that they're going to live in the darkness and commit atrocious acts. And that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. I, I trace this back. Many people will say, well, it's from 2020. It's from George Floyd. It's from 2020. It's from all of that. That's not the case at all. It, it, this, we have had since the 1970s, the 1960s, an epidemic of crime. The problem is we did two things that we should never have done. We should never have done this. One, emptied out the asylums. Two, empty out the prisons. The people who are walking around that are homeless, that are defecating, urinating, public sexing, whatever it is that's going on, those people, by and large, are emotionally disturbed people or they are mentally ill. And too many judges and too many, quote, prosecutors will say that their hands are tied and you can't commit people to an institution. You can't lock them away. You can't lock them up. You can't forcibly drug them. You can't do any of that stuff. But you've also got an epidemic of straight-up drug addicts that are walking around who are human zombies. And those same judges and those same prosecutors will say, we can't do anything for them. We can't help them. It's just they're going to have to decide that they want to get clean. And you add to that now the Biden babies that have come into the country. 10, 12 million people that have come across the border. They are the Biden babies. They are forever going to be known as Joe Biden's babies because he brought them in. And I don't care if they're 78 years old and I don't care if they're two years old. Joe Biden opened the border. And you want to know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? It now makes so much more sense to me. 
when he was asked the question, why did you open the border? Why did you break the border? And he was saying he didn't do it. Remember, he was saying Trump did it. Remember, he was saying Trump did it. He said it like early this week. Trump broke the border. I didn't break the border. You got to give me the money. You got to give me the resources. I've been saying, give me the money and the resources. He doesn't know. He doesn't remember. He has faulty memory. This isn't like Jim, Vinny the Chin Giganti pretending like he's out of his mind. This is a different set of circumstances. I think Joe Biden does not remember breaking the border. I think Joe Biden will not go down to the border. And when they take him to the border, it's to what? To confirm the false narrative that he has. They clean up a neighborhood in El Paso, Texas. He stands there and goes, this is looking really great. I'm so happy that everything's cleaned up down here. And then they bring him back to D.C. He may not have ever seen the border. Maybe the answer I mean, they got room for Dylan Mulvaney protests and they got room for Hamas protests in D.C. Maybe the governors like, you know, the one in Texas, Abbott, maybe you need to start shipping the migrants to Washington, D.C., to the Capitol and the White House. Maybe Joe hasn't seen them. Maybe Joe doesn't remember. But 10 million Biden babies are out there. This is a problem. We've given up on law and order, and we've embraced disorder. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Talk 1110-993 WBT. It is the Brett Witterbull Show. Good to be with you today. 704-570-1110 is the telephone number. Be a part of the conversation. And there's a lot of stuff uh, happening around here. We are not, we are not having Bo and Beth come by today because they're both away uh, for this afternoon. But this is still brought to you by PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition, in which I am crossing the streams. I am crossing the streams with people who don't yet know that we, I am crossing the streams. So I, I, want to, uh, I want to welcome to the program somebody whose work I greatly admire, TJ and, and Isaac, who are both here uh, in the room. So I'm going to cross the streams. I'm going to cross the streams with, uh, with uh, TJ and, uh, and Isaac, and this is going to be great because... Um, Isaac is a, is a, is a very welcomed uh, new addition to the team. Uh, it, it, it is great. Uh, Tommy has has gone down to the middays, uh, so it's TJ and um, and and my good friend here, Isaac, and me, Brett Witterbull. And so here's here's this is going to be so easy for you guys. Okay, this is going to be the easiest crossing. I like easy. Ever. I can handle super easy. easy crossing the streams, and I'll and I'll throw it open. Uh, you can ch- you can check in with us after the segment because we are uh, we are participating in the segment right now. Three most important elements 
for the big game get together. So Ooh, what call. are the three most important? Now I don't and don't say beer, food, and and cake. I, I don't want that. I want the three most important things that you guys need when you go to this particular very secular holiday coming up on Sunday. Right. Like what is your what is your go-to? Like is it perhaps breakfast for dinner? Is it something like that? Is it donuts? Is it, you know, do you start early? Do you have three things across the, the, the day? How do we do this? So uh, I'll, I'll go to you first, uh, TJ. It's, it's kind of a, uh, a Thanksgiving-esque food yes, feast. Yes, yes. But I, I, outside of food, one thing you definitely need. What do you need? A good place to sit. That seems mm. like there's a lot of... Uh, Parties. I almost slipped up there. Sure. And uh, they, they just don't think of that. It's like, yeah, sure, just gather in the kitchen. It's like, no, we're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's to watch some unnamed game. For hours. For hours. End. Yeah, like all day. It's actually the pregame started yesterday. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're late. But yeah. Wow, really? I mean, uh, but a food staple that you gotta have. Yeah, what do, what do you have to have? The giant crock pot of Velveeta cheese dip with the Rotel and oh. the... Oh, that's, that's a staple. Are you, are, now, are, what are you... Are you just using standard nacho chips? Are you using chips for that? What do you Yeah, use? chips or just a spoon. It's <laughs> fine. Like, I'll take that, Isaac. What is what is one of your must-haves uh, on these uh, occasions? Uh, TJ TJ took mine because uh, really? mine was definitely going to be the the queso. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, some but something else you need to add in. What do you have to have? Some buffalo dip. Some, some oh, nice yeah. chicken good buffalo call. dip. Chicken buffalo dip. Oh, I like that. That's good. Game changer. That's good. And you can put a little you can put a little pile of the queso and then next to it the the chicken dip. Yeah, I'm what, into that. You know, that's what you got there, right? Okay, so. Now we're moving into the festivities themselves, right? right? Yeah. Uh, people are uh, people have been having a good time so far for the f- first couple of hours. Now we're now we're looking for for the next for the next food item. What is because I I know what the next food in my in my world what the next food item is. I know I'm not going to go for the obvious. I'm not going to go wings. Yeah. I'm not going to go wings. That's what I was going to say. Wings are fantastic. Yeah. I, I tell you what. I'm very into the sliders now. Oh, good call. Um, now, I don't love them, but I do like them because you can have multiples of different kinds of sliders at the same time instead of committing to a whole burger. I just don't want to make them. That's, I don't like to make the sliders. That's I don't know. Wings are a little easier. You Wings kinda, are easy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to spend all day in the kitchen unless I'm just... Eating in the kitchen. That's a great point. That's why you got to have those. I want it to be meals. as easy as possible where we can just drop this in the air fryer, put it in the oven, throw it on the grill, and forget about it while we're watching hour seven of the pregame. <laughs> what is the appropriate time to depart? Do you stay till the bitter end and the trophy is awarded? Because that gets uh, kind of late in the night and maybe people got to go to work. Yeah. It are just you staying? Depends. How late are you staying? I mean, I'll stay till the till the end for sure, mm. like the end of the game. You stay to the end of the game, and you give it maybe uh, maybe five ten minutes right. after the game, a little bit of celebration, yeah. see how everybody's reacting. But yeah, I'm not staying for the whole ceremony. No. See, see, yeah. I, I, I look, I, I'm with you. I, when I host, I'm out at halftime. 
Yeah, when you're hosting. Yeah, when I'm yeah, hosting, I'm yeah. out at halftime. And Wait, wasn't Brett here? I was, <laughs> I was, but now I'm going. I'm yeah. doing. I have to do something yeah, else. Now. You're reading a book in the next room. <laughs> no, I'm not reading a book. No, I'm not. I, I'm departing completely. I'm departing the property. Brett went to the store the uh, to go and get dessert. Oh, okay, all right. Now there's there's one. Here's a pro tip for people because most people don't know this. Here's your pro tip. If you need to replace the batteries in your smoke detectors, your carbon monoxide thing and all that, pro tip, you can go to the big box stores uh, during the festivities, yeah. and I'm telling you, you have the run of the place. Also, also a grocery store. I worked in a grocery store. Right. And it is a ghost town. Once, once kickoff happens, really before kickoff. For sure. It's done. Like. As a uh, as a former Domino's employee, let oh, me just go ahead and throw this oh, out there. Yeah, Whatever please. you do, don't order pizza on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. It's gonna be cold by the time it gets there. Is I it really? Promise. Really? Guarantee. What, how many? What's the most numbers that you ever had to deliver? Man, in Boone, we would have people lined up out the door trying to order inside, and then deliveries are just as long, if not longer. Oh man, it was. I mean, it was. <sighs> Two hours plus to get your pizza from call oh, to oh. from call to eating the pizza. It's two hours. All get that, it. and it's still just Domino's. Who is ordering yeah. that? I mean, yeah. like you have no. got a plan ahead. Drunk of this. people, drunk people yeah. order pizza. All right, and actually, those better. people those people should be ordering, so they're uh, not yeah. out on the road. As a delivery, yeah, that's true. That's a very that's good true. point. And as a delivery driver, you gotta love the drunk customers because they're tipping. Absolutely, they're, they're, they're not. They're, they're handing a lot of cash to you. Yeah, they're having wow. a good night. I want you to have a good. night. You figure it out. You just like hand that. you a pile of cash. It's a hundred. Like yeah. Single most uh, unconventional thing that you've ever had at a at a at one of these gatherings. Uh, can oh, you think man. of something? Because I, I I got one on my mind that was ridiculously awesome. I can't think of anything uh, unconventional really. Yeah. I went to a Super Bowl party one time, and this wasn't you know a Super Bowl only festivity. It was just in the house, but there was a like a cotton candy thing. They oh, had a cotton candy wow. machine. They had a cotton candy machine. That's pretty good. This that's, is like a long-term investment, but it was bad. at the Super Bowl party. That's not bad. That was unusual. So, so we, I was at a uh, college. I was at a party, a gathering, a gathering for the for the uh, event, and um, uh, one somebody challenged and said, "I don't want pizza." And we took a quarter out and we went to flip the coin, and we said, "Okay, on the count of three, shout out." what you want when it's in the air if it's not pizza. So it was either pizza or something else. We flipped the coin. You know what it was? Gas station sushi. Wrong-o. Close. <laughs> Chinese food. Seven poo-poo platters were ordered. Wow. And you know why? Because it had everything on it. Right, yeah. Wonton, uh, ribs, chicken. That's actually a great idea. It I is. mean, it was like, we're just going to get seven poo-poo platters. <laughs> the reason why he said poo-poo. It's called a poo-poo platter, but he was about seven into the into the afternoon yeah. already. It's a good so, joke. At so that the first point. thing he yells out is poop. Well, he yeah. laughed at himself. Well, yeah. You know what? what Were we, there any happens. one-ton wontons in? I want to bring out them one-ton wontons. It's going to happen someday. Crab Rangoons. <laughs> News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT, Brett Woodable Show. Good to be with you. 704-570-1110. I, I, I dislike very much these uh, these little shenanigans and games that are being played on MSNBC and, and uh, uh, CNN. When uh, Trump starts making a speech, they cut away from him because they say he's lying. I, I feel like at some point there has to be a, a response to this. 
there has to be a response to this. Because if Donald Trump ends up becoming the nominee and Donald Trump ends up campaigning and Donald Trump ends up, you know, making a speech someplace, uh, if he makes a speech for the convention and he's the Republican nominee, is CNN not going to uh, cover it? Is MSNBC not going to cover it? Because what I would think would need to happen is you would need to make sure uh, if you are in the Republican Party and you are in charge of that kind of stuff, I, I think you need to get them to uh, to cop to whether or not they're actually going to cover the convention or they're just going to do their own. They're going to do their own thing because, you know, this is there are people who are on. Uh, there are people who watch MSNBC. Who need to be exposed to other sort of takes, and there are people who watch CNN and they need to be exposed to other sorts of takes. I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not kidding around when I say that. I watch all of them. I watch all of them because I think it's important to understand what everybody's talking about at a given point. I, now that makes sense because I, I I do a, a talk show, but I am somebody who wants to understand kind of kind of the lay of the land who's pushing what what's this doing what's that doing i i just you know i look at this and i say to myself you know what it's important for me to be made aware of what people are talking about so david axelrod is criticizing biden for going after the cnn reporter that he did yesterday former white house aide and CNN contributor David Axelrod on Friday criticized President Biden for snapping at a reporter for the network who earlier asked about concerns regarding his memory and age. More concerning about this was the way he reacted to the CNN reporter MJ Lee. If you saw the video from last night, she is the reporter that is standing either just behind or just next to Peter Ducey. And she's asking the question that says, uh, listen, you said out there in public, if you don't think I have the energy, just watch me. Remember that that was the comment that he famously made months ago, maybe a year ago. And so MJ Lee is there and she is covering this availability last night. And she says, but what do you say about the people who say they have been seeing you and they don't think you're up to the job? And there was a contentious back and forth. And Biden said his memory is fine. And he insisted that the most qualified person in the country, he is the most qualified person in the com- in the country to be president of the United States and is determined to finish the job he started. So she says. You know. But. What about what people are saying? Well, David Axelrod, who was a, you know, one of the most senior people on the Obama team back in the day, says he brushed away a question from Lee about polling, showing concerns about his age and called it a matter of opinion. It is the opinion of a lot of Americans who only see you in front of a camera, Axelrod said of Biden. They don't see you in the situation room. They don't see you in the closed door meetings. They are drawing their conclusions from what they see. This is why I said earlier in the program that Mr. Herr, who got appointed to the job of the special counsel, is really functioning as a whistleblower for this administration. He wrote in his report, and I don't think he did it in a uh, in, in a 
purposeful, trying to hurt Joe Biden kind of a way. I don't think it was malicious. I think he was reporting why he wasn't bringing charges against Biden. And he said there that he didn't seem to be able to remember things. So if a police officer on the beat has a contact with an elderly person and they ask the person what happened and they say, well, I got robbed. And the police officer says to the person, well, when did it happen? I don't remember. And the police officer says, well, hold on a second. Was it today? Was it yesterday? When did it happen? I don't remember. I don't remember. Right. I don't I don't know. Maybe it was yesterday. I don't remember. Well, who did it? I don't remember who did it, but it's a, it's it was over at this place that I can't. Re- I mean, like you think about all this, right? That that's what that's all that Robert Hur was doing in trying to get the information out from Joe Biden. And his conclusion was he doesn't have answers for me. He doesn't have answers. He says he can't remember. He doesn't remember when he was a vice president, doesn't remember when he was picked to be the vice president, doesn't remember when his son died, doesn't remember any of that. So what is what is her supposed to do? Turn in a blank sheet of paper that says everything is fine. Don't worry about it. He's going to get in trouble from Merrick Garland. He's got to put something on paper. Otherwise, people are going to say, why didn't you charge him? Well, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why I didn't charge him. I didn't charge him because he he didn't remember anything. So he wrote in his report, I tried to get the information from him. He couldn't remember. So as a consequence, I can't charge him because he doesn't remember what he did. And then everybody goes, well, that's a terrible thing to say about us. This is the worst thing ever. You're just saying that he's senile. Well, maybe he doesn't remember. Maybe he doesn't. That's why I I regard I, I do regard Robert Hur as a he's a whistleblower. He wrote the report. He was told not to write the stuff about his memory loss, and he wrote it anyways. And it's been published. That's a whistleblower. He should be respected. We were told many many times that Alexander Vindman and and, and all those people that were 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 leaking in on the uh, on the issue with the phone call with Zelensky with uh, the perfect phone call. And the Russian collusion and all that sort of stuff. We were told whistleblowers are sacrosanct. They are the archangels of Washington, D.C. How dare you question them? How dare you not write the truth in a report? America deserves to know. If you disagree, I'll put you right to the front of the line. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Talk left 10, 99.3 WBT, Brett Witterbull Show. Happy to welcome back to the program. This man is a uh, patriot. He is a smart lawyer. He's a great writer. He is Scott McEwen. Scott McEwen, good to have you back on the show, sir. Good to talk to you, Brett. 
been a long time, and I hope you're well uh, in this beginning of a very tumultuous year. Oh, boy, it sure is. So let's kind of go a a little bit in in reverse here. I want to get your thoughts on the Supreme Court hearing yesterday and the attempt to try to disqualify former President Trump from the ballot in Colorado and obviously then beyond. Uh, How do you assess what happened there? Well, you know, it's rare. I will say this. It's rare that I am proud of my legal background. I don't say that lightly either. I mean, I just have seen a lot of things lately that uh, have disappointed me as far as as far as the Justice Department and what I feel to be two, two systems of justice in this country, unfortunately. Um, but that being said, I tell you, I saw some questioning yesterday by Katanji Brown-Jack and by Elena Kagan both the Democratic appointees, and they posed some very difficult questions on the attorneys who argued Trump should be removed from the ballot, i.e. the attorneys from Colorado. And I felt, you know, having done this many times in the appellate court, I don't see a way that they're not going to rule in favor of uh, Trump on this case. I really don't, because the questioning was so poignant and so pointed at saying, look, if we allow these states to do this, haven't we just destroyed national elections? as they exist, and they're exactly correct. Yeah, that is, I mean, look, that it, it did seem to me at, at different times the, the people who were arguing on behalf of Colorado um, were, were really, really paddling hard because they, they weren't getting any ground from these folks. And especially, as you mentioned, uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson and, and, and of course, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the questioning even from Elena Kagan, right? Uh, do you, do you uh, assume that this will go unanimous? Do you think it'll go 8-1? What do you think will happen? Well, I'll tell you this right now, and I wrote something yesterday. Um, I think it's at least an 8-1, and I think this might be a point where the court wants to really put their foot down and say, look, you guys have stepped over the line, and uh, we need to have a unanimous 9-0 decision here. And I think if there is an opportunity to do it, this is one of the cases that that could happen because this is such an assault. You know, not only the Colorado court, but the main secretary of state just saying on our own volition, well, you're off the ballot. I mean, we cannot allow this to happen this way, Brett. This is a real, and, and, and I'm not just saying it for the Republican side, because right. obviously I'm more on the conservative side, but I'll tell you right now, it shouldn't happen to Democrats either. Right. Right. Uh, look, it's it, you don't want to have judges deciding who's going to get thrown off a ballot. You want to have the American people decide. I mean, unless you're, you know, un, unless you're it's unconstitutional, you know, you're not from the United States and you can run for the office. I mean, that's that's a, that's a different thing altogether. Um, OK, I'm going to pivot over to last night. Yesterday, last night, a lot went on. That report comes down from uh, obviously the uh, the the, the uh, special counsel on documents. And I want to play one clip here just to refresh people's minds. This is cut 39. Cut 39. Uh, this is Joe Biden on the presser on memory, etc. Cut 39. Something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad I let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory has gotten worse, Mr. So president. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? 
You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. President, Mr. President. Do voters have concerns about your age? How are you going to persuade them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. How do you assess this? Uh, first, there's the legal issue, and then there is the potential competency issue. What, what do we have going on here, Scott? Well, on the legal issue, I totally disagree with the estimation of the special counsel. And supposedly this guy was from the right, an appointee of, of Trump. I don't know. But if we let crim- criminal behavior be assessed based upon the fact that you're supposedly a nice person or a jury won't convict you when you're 87 years old or whatever, then, you know, then I guess people can walk around with five pounds of heroin and just say, well, you know, I forgot that it was there or whatever else. It's just it's completely preposterous to have that as a standard of proof necessary to, to go forward with the prosecution of someone. But that being said, I totally disagree. And I disagree with any distinction between that and the former president of the United States, who can declassify whatever he wants having a locked area where the the records people know that he is harboring, you know, has certain documents that which may or may not still be classified. This distinction is once again that that dichotomy that we talked about earlier. This is really the the duplicity of of, of prosecution and and I don't agree whatsoever with the decision that this was not a actionable case against Joe Biden you know, merely because he was incompetent. But then the second question is if you take it for what it's worth if the prosecutor does his investigation and believes this man does not have a memory left and is technically incompetent to stand trial, then you got to wonder how he's a CIC. How is he the commander in chief, Brett? That's a very yeah. dangerous proposition, in my in my estimation. Uh, it, you know, it, it absolutely is a, a hugely uh, dangerous thing. And for, for the record, could Joe Biden have retroactively declassified all the stuff that he had pilfered in his in his property? I've never seen that case happen. I, I would tend to do. I've never seen it proffered as a defense. And I, I can't imagine that would be the way it is, because the bottom line is when you're president, you have the right to declassify certain information as you are president. Gotcha. But if you have it from beforehand, you can't go backwards and say, well, I'm declassifying now because it was in my possession. I've never heard of that, yeah. nor would I believe that to be the law. All right. All right. Final a final question for you. Uh, Tucker Carlson in interviews. uh uh, Vladimir Putin, I've got a clip I want to play for you. I want to get your reaction and your thought on this interview, uh, broadly speaking. This is going to be uh, cut number, what am I doing here? I'm doing 42. Cut 42. One of uh, our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort or U.S. Soldiers, citizens could wind up fighting there. How do you assess that? Well, if somebody has the desire to send regular troops, that would certainly bring humanity to the brink of very serious global conflict. This is obvious. Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than $33 trillion. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia, make an agreement, already understanding the situation that is developing today, 
realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end. Your, your thoughts on, on that and the, the interview itself there, Scott? Well, you know, you're dealing with a, you know, and look, I'm not a fan. I want to say this right up front. I'm not a fan of this man. I know, I know what he's done in the past. I know the people he's taken out in the past. He's a ruthless character, but he's also the leader of his country, and he has an interest in his own people. I, I appreciate the fact that he is can be noted as a very bad guy in history. That said, he's not stupid. And, you know, just the way he's playing chess with that response tells me that he is much more in, in, in his faculties than, say, for example, another commander-in-chief that is currently playing, you know, the opposite position against him, i.e. our president. And it makes me very concerned again, because Putin is, is, is running on all eight, and, and he, is, he is very, very strong mentally, I believe, if you listen to this interview, and he knows how to play to the United States audience and to say, is this really in your interest? And by the same token, he's also saying, look, you don't want to be involved in a war in Crimea, which I'm telling you right now, we don't want to be involved in a war in Crimea. I, I have to agree with him on that point that it is not worth sacrificing American lives or our men and women of our armed forces for that purpose. And, you know, it's a very dangerous situation we have going there. And uh, once again, you know, I look to, you know, the, the, the joint command here, to, to obviously make some some good decisions there, but I'm I'm very concerned that I don't see those decisions being made, Brett. And unfortunately, we may have somebody sitting in the White House who may want to then call for an operation against that piece of territory, and that could be catastrophe, right? It could be a very very dangerous choice, and you know I, I would hope that those that are counseling the president and and making a lot of decisions possibly on his behalf would seriously remember that, you know, if they want to play wag the dog, because we just don't need another war. Yeah. I, I really don't. I really believe that. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, well, great conversation with you, Scott McEwen. I always appreciate the time with you. Where do people go to get more information on Scott McEwen? ScottMcEwen.com is my site, and uh, we're going to have some big, uh, some big um, book and movie information coming out soon, Brett, but I'm not able to go to, uh, go to press with that yet, but I will, I will be back in contact with you soon. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, a movie <laughs> and a book. I'm loving this, man. All right, Scott McEwen, uh, stay safe out there. We appreciate you being there, buddy. All right, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Brett Whittable Show. Let's jump out and grab a call from Dwayne, who's been patiently holding on. Dwayne, welcome to the show. Yes, sir. What's on your mind, sir? I love, I love this show. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's okay. But I love this show. I love WBT. Thank you. I've been a long-time listener. Thank you. But as the special counsel just addressed Biden's faculty, mm-hmm. well, how about E.G. Carroll? If you go back and look at your life, there is things that happen on a certain day you remember very well. Sure. She does not even know what year it happened. But yet, Trump was charged with a... With the assault. With the, uh, with the assault. Yes, he was charged with <laughs> yes. that. Yes. Yeah. But evidently, she doesn't have her faculty together either. Well, you know... Uh... What this that was not a criminal trial that was a uh, a civil right, trial. It's still civil. It's still it's so still they got civil. they have a low yeah they got a, a a lower burden of proof to 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 get there. Um, and I mean, look, I I think 
certainly the DOJ is not going to get involved in that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that. It's a fair point. I appreciate the call, Dwayne. And I maybe want to get a glass of water. Um, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. Look, a lot of people think that to win in politics, you have to shoot every pl- every plane down. So, like, think about this. It's world. Think about World War II, right? And you have bombers flying, and you have you have you have fighter planes coming in to attack the bombers. Okay, and you do have to basically shoot down all of these fighter planes that are coming up towards your bombers because you're trying to end the war by by going in and bombing Berlin. So you do have to shoot you know, all of them down or till they take off and, and, and flee the scene when it comes to politics. And this is, this is an art that some people have, and this is an art that some people lack. If you are in the world of a political fight, you, I don't think you can answer every specific charge that comes your way, because if you do that, you're going to get bogged down. You're going to get bogged down in correcting the record of every little thing that gets said or written or any of that stuff. You have to go for the big stuff because the most important job in politics is actually delivering for the constituents or the state or the country as a president. So you can't go chase every sort of thing. And I don't you know, I don't know what her story is. I don't know what. Uh, what went on, what didn't go on. Uh, I know what the president has said. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, I feel like when he goes out there and gets warned the first time about uh, defamation and has to write a check, at that point, I would shut it down. Like at that point, I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. She's going to go on TV. All it's going to do is burn a hole in your pocket with your money. And you've got to be focused on things. And you can't go back and and try to square up with everybody who ever wronged you. Truthful or not. I mean, you can I guess he could have sued her back and could have said, I'm suing you and you have to prove this and I'm going to take everything you have or whatever it is. You have to pick your fights. You have to pick your fights. There's a reason when you watch the game on Sunday and you see the snap of the ball. And the the ball gets put into play, and whether it's a running play or a, or a or a throwing play, right? There is a difference there, and what has to happen at that moment is everybody has got their assignment, and they have got to follow their assignment. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a lineman, or there's going to be a linebacker, or there's going to be a uh, somebody in the secondary who is going to grab your shirt and pull you aside and try to mess you up and all that. And you might get annoyed by it, but are you going to punch them in the face or are you going to get back up on the line and try to score the touchdown? You can, you could certainly punch them in the face. You could grab their face mask, throw them on the ground, kick them, do whatever you want. And you're going to be out of the game. And that's, that's the same reality of what we see in politics. You can, go, go, you can go after everybody who ever slighted you. You can go after everybody who ever said anything about you. But you have to stay on your plan. Can you imagine? And I don't want to speak out of turn or out of order. But Matt Doherty, Coach Doherty, right? He's been in studio here. I've asked him a, 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 a hundred times about playing in adverse conditions. 
How do you stay focused? How do you do what you do? And you've heard him answer those questions. The question is, are, are you going to fight on the floor or are you going to fight with the people in the stands? People in the stands are just people in the stands. People that are going to come at you as a politician, whatever that is, you've got to deal with it and you've got to move on down the road and you've got to be confident enough in what you believe that you're going to stand there and say, you know what I'm doing? I'm working for the American people to secure the border. I'm working for the American people to keep money in their pockets. I'm working with, for the American people to keep us safe and protected from bad guys and all that sort of stuff. Joe Biden has not mentioned the immigration crisis other than the package that has the Ukraine money in it. He hasn't talked about he hasn't made a speech. He hasn't made a comment. Kamala Harris hasn't made a speech, hasn't made a comment. Uh, Merrick Garland hasn't made a speech, hasn't said a comment about the New York City police officers being assaulted by the Venezuelan migrants. What is that? What is that? I commented in a in a ex post earlier today. We're at the risk of the place where Rome falls because the Huns are at the gates and are in the gates. We are very close to no go zones that we've seen happen in Europe and in other places around the world. We have to make the decision whether or not this is a country worth saving. So the question I would have for you is to answer that question for me as we move into this next hour. Is America a country worth saving? In its current condition, is America worth saving, or are you giving up? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Lost for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. The following takes place between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT hour number four underway. I am Brett Witterbull. It is great to be with you here today as we unpack the news from across the day and across the week. Uh, one of the things that I think we need to be very serious about is the direction of our country in a non-political way. And again, I'm a political junkie. Many of you are political junkies. You love the current events. You love all the stuff that's going on. But what we have got to understand is that on the individual level, you have to build pathways and bridges. You have to connect with other people. Social media is great. X is fine. Insta is awesome. Snapchat is great. Go, Facebook, go through any of those platforms. Yeah, they're fine. They're great. They're awesome. The only way you transform, you transform a world is one person at a time. And I talk about this all the time. There isn't a shortcut. There is not a shortcut to doing this stuff. Not every idea that comes out of Washington, D.C. is a bad idea. Not every idea that comes out of uh, Raleigh or Columbia 
is a bad idea because politicians are involved with it. But the only way you'll ever find out if the idea is worthy is if you test drive it. What are you looking to accomplish? It, it's true about business. It's true about individual effort. It's true about foundations. It's true about all of that stuff. You have an idea. You think it's great. How do you test drive it? How do you test drive it? Do you have a, a group of people who can mentor you in, in this particular idea? Do you have access to an expert? Do you have access to somebody who, who might be able to give you some uh, qualification or may give you some sort of consideration? All this sort of stuff, right? All of this sort of stuff is important. When somebody decides that they want to run for office, I've never run for office. Uh, I can imagine how frustrating and grueling it can be to run for office. I never really had the idea of wanting to go and run for office. But there's got to be a moment in time where the light goes off in your head and you say, I am going to put myself forward as a candidate for something, whatever it is, school board, selectmen. I don't even know what those are. Um, city council, county commissioner, whatever it is, you make a decision. You say, I am going to get involved with this. Okay, that's great. We're in a campaign season. People are talking a lot about national politics. I understand that. But here's the thing. You're going to go run for office. Do you know the issues? Do you know the challenges? Do you know um, how you're going to get funded? Do you know what this commitment is going to look like? Why does that matter? Because the only way you're going to find out what the issues are is by talking to people. And you can't you can't just like go send 15 experts out to survey the landscape and say, uh, so what do you think is the most important thing? The border. OK, well, if you're going to run as a selectman or you're going to run as a city council person uh, or a town council person or something like that, how are you going to be able to affect the border? You have to target you have to learn you have to spend time and you have to have something that cannot be faked it cannot be faked passion passion is the insurance policy of mediocrity it's the firewall that prevents you from becoming mediocre I'll give you a, a little example here. Once upon a time, many of you know, I worked with Rush. Rush said this many, many times, off the air and on the air. He said, if you're faking interest in a topic, if you're doing it because you think that's what people want to hear, you are going to fail. It's why with all of the podcasting, with all of the new media, with all all of the traditional broadcasting with all of that out there, right, where we have you know, 6,000 radio stations in America, whatever it is, and you've got podcasts and you've got international and you've got all this stuff happening at the same time. There's a market for everybody. There is a market for everybody. You have to be interesting. You have to be committed. You have to be willing to pivot if it's failing. 
but you have to be authentic. You have to be a real person. You have to share with people your opinions. I know who I am. Who are you? Who are you? I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a man. I enjoy speaking with people from a variety of backgrounds. I enjoy spending time with people who, who wonder. I love giving advice. I love taking advice. I love learning on a consistent basis. The one thing I cannot stand, and I cannot stand it, hackery. Hackery. People who tell you or who tell me what they think I want to hear. I want to know what you think. And maybe we'll disagree, and maybe we won't. That's the great danger in our society. I was mentioning this at the end of the last hour. Is this a country worth saving? Well, I'll give you the quick answer. I believe it is. I believe it is. Because I sure as heck don't want to be the generation that gave this place up. I want the next generation to come in, and the next generation after that. I don't surrender. I don't want to surrender. I have an attitude... That's more akin to what people thought about at the Alamo without the bad uh, outcome. But I got to tell you this. You've got to be committed. You got to be committed to persuading one person in your life one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. I don't care. But if you do it one time per month, you're going to change 12 people's ideas. You're going to motivate them to choose a better pathway. And that's what makes better citizens. See, we can sit at home and we can look at the news and we can go look at these dirtbags and look at this crazy person and look at this wacko and look at these dangerous maniacs and look at these criminals and look at that. Or you can engage with your neighbors. You can engage with your friends. You can engage with your associations. You can engage with your clubs. You can engage and engage and engage. That's what is necessary today. It's very difficult to shake hands with a person standing in front of you when you've got your eyes in your phone. Eyes up, eye contact, conversation, smile. Rinse, repeat. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So I came across this story earlier um, in the day, and this is, admittedly, this is not like a funny, happy, uh, great story. Do you know that there are 50 million human beings enslaved in the world today? 50. 50 million people are enslaved in the world. Any day of the year, more than 50 million people are enslaved in the world, according to the latest estimate published in a joint report by the International Organization for Migration, the International Labor Organization, and Walk Free, a human rights group that seeks the eradication of modern slavery in all of its forms. Many of the people affected by trafficking are in Latin America. 90% of the victims are women, especially girls destined for sexual exploitation and where many of the countless migrants who cross the continent are prey for human traffickers and those facilitating illegal immigration. 50 million people in servitude means, and this is, I mean, this is an incredible statistic. 50 million people who are enslaved means that one 
out of every 150 people in the world is enslaved. 35% are boys and girls. Kids. The business brings in more than $150 billion annually in 145 countries. Those 145 countries contain 94% of the world's population. Two-thirds of those profits come from sexual exploitation and rape. Two-thirds. Trafficking operates through recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring of the reception of people under threat, use of force, other forms of coercion, kidnapping, fraud, deception, abuse of power, taking control, taking advantage of vulnerability to receive payment or benefits or to have control over another person for the purpose of exploitation. Human trafficking is a reality that occurs on all continents. In Latin America, women are particularly the victims of slavery. More than 80% of the victims of human trafficking in Latin America are women and girls. According to the UN, 92% of victims in South America and 75% of victims in Central America and the Caribbean are trafficked to neighboring or nearby countries. Modern-day slavery can take several forms, including servile uh, farm work, servile marriages, child marriages, victims forced to be hitmen or mules to transport drugs, children sold through catalogs for pedophile sex tourism. All of this is what slavery looks like in the modern era. All of it. Do, do you think for a moment that we have within our power, NATO, the Russians, China, Japan, Southeast Asia, African nations. Do you think that if they banded together that they could end this? You think about all the power that is deployed around the world today that we spend on killing each other. What if that firepower were turned around and deployed to liberate slaves? What, what would happen? How could that happen? Now, far too often, you will see the exploitation of these young people and old people, and they will be exploited by what they call peacekeepers. It's happened a million times, typically in, 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 in Africa and in sub-Saharan Africa, um, the Congo. You know, you'll have these U.N. peacekeepers who are uh, out there ensuring that the, the truce is holding and all this sort of stuff. And oftentimes these are young people that are being sexually exploited by people in authority. If I... If I, well, let me take this call because this call was basically on this. David, welcome to the program, David. Hey, Brett, how you doing? I'm bro? doing well, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I was listening to you talk uh, about how, you know, you would never want to get involved in politics. Okay. But I wonder, if you were offered the opportunity to be dictator of the United States to where you had absolute power, like Kim of North Korea, Whatever you said was law. You had life and death over every citizen. 
what would you do? What three things would you change? What would you do? Would you take the job, first of all? And if you did, <laughs> I wouldn't want what that would job. you do? I wouldn't want to be a dictator. But, um, all right, so sticking with this current topic that I'm on right now, I would mandate a death penalty for slavery. And I, look, I'm Catholic, all right? Uh, I'm not supposed to support the death penalty, but I believe that that slavery is so evil, such an evil that has plagued this planet for eternity, that the only way you stop it is by putting it at that level of a, of a punishment. I hope I hope people would oh, give it. Right. I, 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 I hope places on Earth where beauty is a curse. Yeah, I, I would hope that that would be enough to deter people. But I would I would do that is something I would that I would do um, because women and children and people who are held against their will, one in one hundred and fifty people on the planet. That's that's an uh, that's an incredibly awful number. Um, I would I would pour as many resources as I could. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm a dictator. I would pay uh, pour as many resources as I could um, into the development of the, um, the 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 ability to eradicate the major diseases that plague us so badly: the cancers, um, Alzheimer's, um, those sorts of things. I, I would I would I would deploy a lot. Uh, you know, as much as I possibly could. And then finally, what I would want to do uh, in, in, in the third one would be to ensure that nations around this world could work together and to trade, to engage in trade, because I believe that capitalism is something that can save this entire world. All right. The idea that we can trade with each other and not shoot guns at each other and not shoot bombs at each other. And of course, you're going to have those people who are outliers and are awful and are terrible. But that th those would be the three things. It, it, so I would I would put a, a, a capital charge on 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 slavery. I would put a, um, a, a massive amount of resources into eradicating the horrible diseases that kill so many people in this in this country and in this world. And I would I would do the uh, the third one. Uh, trying to develop a, a trade uh, system that worked, that was legal, that was that was the way it ought to handle. Those are my three. What would your three be? Oh gosh, you know what? I never really thought about it to much a degree. Um, probably some things along those lines, but yeah. um, I was just curious as to what you thought. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for being there, man. Thanks so much, David. You're a good man, Brett. Hey, you are too. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Uh, I got time. Let's try this. Stan, welcome to the show, Stan. Hi, Brett. I have, I, I've always had a question about people who run for political office. Yeah. People will say, like, okay, surely we can do better than Biden and Trump. Okay, yeah. the best of us. And, and then here's the thing. There's somebody, and yes, there are. There are plenty of people that could do the job. Here's the problem. Quickly... It was seven on the Republican side, three on the Democratic side that applied. So we quickly went from 350 million to 10 people. Yes. Why is it that, I mean, and I got, there's obviously some reasons, but even, even with those reasons, why is it that we have such a difficult time getting good quality people such as, like, I mean, any of the, you, Pete Callender, you, Vince Coakley, all of three of you would be better than any of the candidates we've got, yet we don't get people like that running for office. 
Well, you know, I, I kind of come at it from where you come at it, Stan, and, and it's this. I, I really feel like the federal, the federal branch of government is essentially, let's be honest with you, it's, it's a bank for all intents and purposes. It's where people go to get money uh, and people go to get bribed. Okay, um, but mm-hmm. but here's I would like to see somebody who's just maintaining the federal power and devolve it to the states. The states should have the power. And when we have a dispute between California and and New Mexico or or South Carolina and Illinois over gun rights, over something else, then I think you settle it in the national level. I, I don't I don't think there ought to be senators and Congress people sitting in Washington, D.C., that are permanently seated there. I think it's a huge mistake. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like even with the tax thing, you know, I was talking about it yesterday. So it, 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 I, I think that in reality, the citizens, we were supposed to have very little direct contact with the federal government. Absolutely. So, right. So, so, so if the federal government says we need this much money, right. what they should actually do is send the states a bill and let the states collect it however they want to, yeah. but do it proportional based on representation. That's a great answer. I, that's a great answer. Stan, that's you, awesome. You and I would never, never have an issue with the federal government because we wouldn't have any contact with them. That's a great answer. Stan, great call as always. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let's uh, jump out and talk to Lynn, who's been holding on. Lynn, welcome to the program. Hi, Brett. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. That's good to have you. I wanted to answer your question about whether or not the country is greater than any one of us. And yes, it is. America is a melting pot, literally. I grew up in Chicago, as you know, and... I was in the heartland. I've lived in California for since 1982. I lived on the East Coast for four years. But the heartland is where I believe the heartbeat is for America. But it it shares with all of America. And it is the fact that we get outside of ourselves yes and that we connect with others that makes this a great country that each of us have a talent that god gives us he expects us to use it not bury it in the ground as one did in the gospel that's right that's exactly right if we use our talent we become connected we are as one heartbeat across this nation. Uh-huh. That's true. And I think we do that with never feeling that we're better than another because God created each of us. That's true. He created our souls. That's and true. it is with our souls that we truly unite with one another, that there is integrity in our body. Mm-hmm. We are three-dimensional people. But the soul, even though it's the heart that beats within us, the soul is us touching each other 
with the talents that God put inside of each of us. That's true. We see each other through our souls. I really believe that. That's true. That's I did that's write a poem in college, which if I could share it with you. Sure. Is my idea of when things were really going badly in Chicago in the 60s and 68, that I thought if each of us reached out as friends of one another, mm-hmm. never was there any graffiti on our campus. Never was there any fighting among us on our campus. The only fire on our campus while Chicago was burning and other campuses were being taken over was about a thousand people on the football field holding candles. Oh, wow. And singing a song together. Wow. And that's when I wrote the poem about friendship. Friendship is a living thing, pulsating with the personal touch, responding to the sweet caress of caring and sharing, and thus being such becomes love, life-giving of itself, sowing the seed in which we reap one another, making each person my sister and my brother. Mm-hmm. You are... You were very you were a very wise college kid. That was awesome. Well, that's when I was nineteen. <laughs> I wrote that, but it it serves me today. Yes. That the only way Americans can unite yeah. is through friendship. It derives from an old English word and a French word, um, which means old love. Oh, wow. And the oldest love of all is what God put in each of us. That's amazing. That's exactly right. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's how we connect with one another. That's right. That's exactly right. Thank you so much, Lynn. I appreciate that. You've you've offered a tremendous lift to people. Thank you for checking in today. You're welcome, Brett. And that's why America unites all of us. That's right. If we have that friendship feeling with one another. That's very true. Very, very true. Very profound. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you, Lynn. Uh, it was, you know, that's that's the thing. You got to. Yeah, so. There are certain things that I think I could do without. All right. There are certain things I can do without. And there are certain things I, I just can't do without. And family is hugely important. You know, doing doing the things that, you know, you want to try to do with your family members, with your your kids or your grandkids or your, you know, adult children, whatever it is. But to be honest with you, like, I I have not, as as a person, it's never really, like, been an objective of mine to be one of these people who... I have to get this like super fancy car. I have to I have to have like these these things that are, um, you know, special and unique and uh, I can I can show off to other people. I, I've, I've always enjoyed the experience of of spending time with people and, and talking to people and doing things like that. And I, I love going on trips. I love going on trips. And I'm not going to do the commercial for that now, but. I, I like experiences because uh, experiences create memories that stick with you. Cars are amazing. I, I love them. But I've just never been able to, like, pull the trigger on, like, some unbelievable, you know, 
500 horsepower car that's just it's just amazing i do not by any way shape or form want to imply that there are people that do that that i look down on i don't everybody has interests that are different and that's actually what makes everything cool because if everybody's the same it's north korea it's a gulag it's all that stuff that's what makes things interesting uh, I got I got a little grief earlier today because I said I was going to root for the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. I got grief from some, somebody said, how dare you? That's Pelosi's team. I don't care about Nancy Pelosi. I don't care about that. I, I, I just I'm rooting for the 49ers. Why? Very simple. I'm an NFC guy. I'm an NFC. I, I, I root for the for the Dallas Cowboys and they stink. But I'd rather see our conference win than the AFC. I'm tired of the AFC. The AFC is exhausting. Now, if you like the AFC, you root for you, and I root for me. That's what it's all about. It's very simple. News Talk 1110 wvt Brett Witterville Show. So... I've been kind of fooling around with with AI uh, a, a little bit for for a couple of different things, and one of the things that I think is is super interesting is the way you can basically ask AI like you can ask AI anything, and you don't have to even pay for AI. Like AI is available free on platforms. I mean, there's a bunch of platforms that you can you can do it. Uh, what's the what Copilot is is over on um, Copilot is over on uh, the Microsoft platform. And, and like, you could just put a question in. Like, you can just ask, you can ask that AI platform a- anything you want, like anything in the whole world. Uh, what's the best way to make a million dollars, right? To make a million dollars. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's going to be accurate or not or, or, or correct, but they have the ability to go out there and get information for you. Now, why is that important? Because if you're having a conversation with somebody and you get asked a bunch of questions, like you get asked a bunch of questions uh, as it relates to politics. Well, why do you think the Republicans are good? Why do you think the Democrats are good? Why are you this? Why are you that? One of the things that you can do is you can get information instantly in your palm of your hand on your phone. Okay? People... I know people of faith will understand what I'm talking about here, and I'm not trying to exclude anybody, but people who go out there and try to win souls, it's it's almost identical to trying to win people over to your cause. Except if you think about it, I think it's harder to win souls than it is to convert people on politics. Because if you're going out there and trying to com- commit to converting somebody uh, to become a Christian— uh, or to become uh, a particular denomination of Christian. So you're going to have to do the work of dissuading them from whatever it is they're doing now by offering them the benefit of what it is that you think that they would benefit from. So you could say, oh, okay, so what do you, you know, what do you believe? And they believe X. And you go, well, no, X isn't really right. Y is the way you want to go, and here's, here's how. When you're converting people to your political side, yelling and screaming at them does not convert them. It's, 
so think about somebody who's affiliated with a political point of view. This is all like tribalism. Like this whole argument that goes on in our world is, is, is basically tribalism, if you really think about it. So I'm part of a tribe that is like, let's say I'm a Democrat. So I'm part of the Democrat tribe. I'm a Republican. I'm part of the Republican tribe. Now over here, I'm an independent. I'm part of the independent tribe, which I don't even know if there's an independent tribe because you just kind of swing back between like people that that are election to election. So let's say like Republican, Democrat, or let's say Christian, non-Christian, Christian, Jewish, Jewish, Buddhist, all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying tribe as a derogatory term. It's a grouping of people. Okay, it is a grouping of people. If you want to dislodge somebody from a position and get them to pick up your position, it doesn't work if you yell at them. Yelling at people to persuade is what dictators do. <laughs> it's what Hitler did. Hitler stood there screaming and yelling about the, everything was the fault of the Jews and we have to do something and then we're going to also do this other stuff. That, that's, that's lunacy. Persuasion is what is lost in the society today. And I'm not trying to be super Mr. Academic here, but I'm telling you, try to have a debate with somebody. Try to have a debate with a high school kid. Try to have a debate with somebody in college. You'll find it increasingly difficult if you start to have a debate with, like, say, a 12-year-old. And then you have a debate with someone who is, like, a 16-year-old. And then you go to have a debate with someone who's a 22-year-old. It's going to be progressively, no, no term intended there, it's going to be progressively more challenging. So your kid goes to school. And they hear from the teacher. They hear from the teacher that global warming is real and we're all going to die unless we get rid of our cars. So if you have a 12-year-old a who hears that in school, you have a pretty decent chance of dissuading them from really believing that, right? Because you don't want to have a little Greta Thunberg in your house saying that we're all going to die and I'm not going to have children. I'm never going to get married. I'm not going to have a life and I hate you because you're an adult. Like you can't do that kind of stuff, right? So you have to persuade. You have to say, okay, so let's look. Maybe you go over to the, maybe you go over to the AI and you go, let's look and see what the temperatures look like. Let's look and see what does it look like when you do um, uh, sea levels, what about the droughts? What about these things? And you expose them to information. You don't want to crush them with your arguments, like to browbeat them, because they're just going to turn, you're going to turn you out. You'll be like, well, I don't know who you are. Now, you get to a high school kid, someone who's like 16. Their, for, their foundations are being formed. And what they're going to want is evidence, but they're not going to take evidence from you. You have to get like independent evidence to share with them. We get into the college years, same deal, but that's even harder because now you've gone from a young person to an older person to a young adult who is now going to be cemented in because they have been steeped in the classes to tell you that we're all going to die and oil is evil and you shouldn't have a house and you shouldn't wear clothing and you shouldn't all that crazy stuff. Right. But what's missing is this, the ability to debate. How do you debate with somebody? You don't set up a bunch of chairs and you make a speech and they make a speech and you make a speech and they make a speech. you take out your cell phone and on your cell phone, you have a timer. The timer 
the timer is agnostic and you say, I'm going to talk to you about this for the next 90 seconds. And then you're going to rebut what I said for the 90 seconds. And then you're going to make your case for 90 seconds. And I'm going to come back at you. That is what you have to do. How did you learn to shoot baskets? How did you learn to play football? How did you learn to play soccer? How did you learn to play golf? You got out on the field, on the course, on the wood, and you stood there and you did the thing. People want to sit in their house and they want to have their their cell phone and they want to go on X and they want to do all that stuff. What you're going to give your kids the skill of being able to do if you are debating with them and you're using 90 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is, you could use how much time you want. I don't care. You are showing them if you do it right and don't scream at them, you're showing them how to become a salesperson. You are somebody who is selling your POV and now you're demanding they sell you their POV. And what you do is, in a very loving, nice way, as long as they're not being real nasty with you, is you give them pointers on, hey, that was a good point, but you should try it this way. Hey, that's a really pretty song you're, you're playing, but you just don't need to play only the G chord. You can play other chords. Like, you should do that. It sounds better than just playing with an open A. I don't know what that is because I don't even know music. But you need to, the way you persuade is you teach while constructing. They're going to assume that you're teaching to beat them down. You're going to say, I'm teaching you so that you get smarter and you best me at some point. And you're not going to best me today, but you might best me in six months. And you might best me even more in eight months and that sort of stuff. People believe in this era of time you see people screaming in the streets. You see people beating up cops. They think that's a debate. That is not a debate. A debate is, here's five minutes of why I think you should support uh, climate change regulation. And then here is my rebuttal for five minutes on why I think that's a mistake. I am going to give you five minutes on why it is you should want to vote for Donald Trump. And then you're going to give me five minutes on why you think Donald Trump is no good, but you have to make the case for Whoever else it is, it could be Biden. It probably will be. Don't debate Biden. He won't remember the arguments. Thanks to uh, TJ, Anna, Pam, and of course Isaac. Enjoy the game. We'll talk about it on Monday. I am Brett Witterbull. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBD.